Welcome back to Tangential Banter. My name is Ben Mowell, and I'm here with my co-host, Jack Korzanowski. We'd like to thank you for joining us today. Your time is precious, and we are grateful that you choose to spend it with us. As a reminder, if you'd like to, if you like what you hear and you want more of it, you can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Facebook, and more under the name Tangential Banter. With that, we'll get started with today's topic, which is going to be marketing wordsmithery. Wordsmithery itself being an example of wordsmithery. Yeah. It's like self-defining in yeah. a sense. Almost onomatopoeic in a literary sense. Yeah. So what do I mean by marketing wordsmithery? What do you ends? mean, Ben? So uh, the example that has come to mind recently, uh, I've had Etch-A-Sketches on my mind quite a bit. Uh, Why? I, I don't know. But I think it's... I think it's just humorous to think about Etch-a-Sketches as tablets. <laughs> so, for example, yeah, um, we had this whole thing at work, and there was a lady who was requesting a tablet and could not get approved for a tablet from IT for various reasons. Uh, it, like for work purposes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. really. Work yeah, it's. Tablets. I don't want to. I don't want to dive into all that, but it was seriously like this years of like trying to get this tablet and fighting with IT over it. And so I eventually went to Walmart and bought an Etch-A-Sketch and wrapped it up and left it on her desk and was like, hey, uh, here's your tablet. <laughs> uh, okay. So anyway, that's not the point of today's topic. So the point of today's topic is taking something uh, very seemingly plain, simple, and making it sound fancy and desirable just using the power of words. So in this example... If you're, if you're not familiar with an Etch-A-Sketch, please look it up. I'm hoping most of you out there are. But it's, you know, this red uh, rectangular device with two knobs on it, whereby the user turns the knobs, one is a horizontal control and one's a vertical control, and you make images using uh, iron filings that are moved around by yeah. magnets on this little screen. Yeah, and then the, the knobs control like a little pointer. Yeah, basically. and then it just drags these filings around, or, or like it does something where you can see the trace of where this pointer goes, and you can draw pictures with them. Right. Yeah. Wait, Ben. If these people don't know what an etch a sketch is, they probably don't know what a podcast is. That's not necessarily true. So you think people because who are people young. who yes, people oh. who don't know what an etch a sketch are probably are younger and would likely know what a podcast. I would is say if you don't know what an etch a sketch is then I don't want your fandom because you don't deserve wow. our words. Wow. But you know what? That's... <laughs> get, you know what, Jack? You can get <laughs> I agree with that. You know why? Because if we have fans and it's our duty to treat them with respect and to Take give them me. what they want. And Even what they want right now is, is to hear marketing wordsmithery yes. about Etch-A-Sketches. So here we go. Okay. I already described to you what an Etch-A-Sketch is. I'm sure many of you out there know what an Etch-A-Sketch is, didn't need the description. But now we can jump into the fun part, which is the wordsmithery. So I want to do this example with an Etch-A-Sketch and then just kind of take other examples that come to mind and have the same exercise. Okay. So you could say that an Etch-A-Sketch mm -hmm. has... Dual analog input design. <laughs> you can. Which is really just a fancy way of saying it has two knobs. Yep. You could also say that it has a motion activated delete feature. <laughs> <laughs> which is really just a fancy way of saying that when you shake it, all of your drawing progress gets erased. Oh, man, that's totally true. Uh, so, it, it has a something to do with the user interface. Uh intuitive user interface. Ooh, that's right. Yeah. And you could say it's um multi-dimensional graphics output. Oh my god. Ben, you're a genius at this. I'm just saying. There's like You've you, thought this through, haven't you? The first two I had. The other okay. ones are just off the cuff. But yeah, I know I agree with you wholeheartedly. Like you could just keep building and expounding, extolling the virtues yes. of this Etch-a-Sketch device. Yeah. And it's really just some plastic and metal. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's a cool concept. It's entertained thousands if not millions of children yeah but i feel like if you if you wanted to market it in today's world you would have to have these additional like uh modifiers to make it really pop would you say that you need to you'd have to in, implement word smithery <laughs> yes i would say that yeah i agree and i mean that 
I can't think of the examples off the top of my head because I'm bad at coming up with examples off the top of my head. But I think everybody's seen this, right? Where I mean, a good way it's, to detect it is probably to go look at description, like you know, the sales pitches for stuff that you already know about. Stuff that you like, for example, everybody knows etch sketches. So what Ben just said sounds ridiculous, but that's because you know what an etch sketch is. So if you know <laughs> what this, that, or the other thing is, and you go look at the marketing campaign for it, you realize this is stupid. You're just pompousing this. They're they're pomping this up to make it sound sellable. But yeah. that's going on all the time, everywhere, for everything. I feel like, um, like maybe a pencil, you could say, is like a, uh, uh, like a, a carbon carbon based uh, permanent indicator or something. Like you just yeah. you make make all the language more flowery and fanciful and yeah, with a uh, with a uh, built in um, error correction feature or something. Yeah. <laughs> It's like the original autocorrect. Yeah. Built in Not auto, but, but you can correct it. Built-in manual control correction feature. Oh, man. But it's all about, it's as I said before, not in this podcast, so if you don't know the reference, don't worry. It's all about the sell. Yeah. And, if, and, and it's sad in every aspect because so many things ultimately boil down to how good of a salesman you are, not how good of an ex you are. Like, for example, getting a job is all about how you sell yourself. It's not about how well you can do the job. It's about how well you can sell yourself. Now, yeah, or I mean, so I always thought of it as selling yourself, but it, I feel like selling yourself has maybe very negative connotations. And, it's, and I would say it's more like a about prostitution. Nature, well, what yeah, or whatever. But I would say I think of the word sell in terms of pitching. Like you're pitching yourself. Like, here's why hiring me is a good idea. Yeah. Okay. Right. So it's you're saying marketing yourself or whatever. But I don't know. I've always I've always kind of like cringed at the selling yourself term in terms of interviews and that sort of thing. Why? I just I don't know. It makes me uncomfortable when I to feel like I'm trying to sell my product, which is me. It's, I don't know. It's just well, yeah. That's my po- that's my point. Is it sucks. Yeah, because it turns into are you a good salesman or not? Not are you a good in our case good engineers? Sure. Because they, now a good interviewer will try to see through that. Will see what is bad salesmanship versus this guy's going to be a bad engineer. That's what a good interview does. But I think a lot of people are very frustrated with the job interview process. A lot of interviews interviewers don't do that. Like if you stumble, uh, and a, like if you're not good at come up with stuff off the cuff, and a guy asks you a question, you're like, uh, I don't know. If he accounts for the fact that, okay, I'm asking this guy a question. He's supposed to come up with an answer off the top of his head. And he's in an interview when he's nervous. I'm not going to hold it against him. But if interviews, oh, he didn't answer this question. Uh, I'm not going to offer him the job because he's stupid. So, well, yeah. no, the guy could just be like, be racked with nerves, man. Yeah, but I think it's it's less about, okay, he's stupid. It's more about the fact that in most scenarios, you have multiple applicants and so you're comparing everyone's qualities, looking for strengths and weaknesses. And so it's just one weakness that you don't want to have, right? Mm-hmm. Like you want your resume to be as good or better. You want your interview skills to be as good or better. Like you don't want to give your interviewer a reason to sort you to the bottom of the list. Right. right? I'm What I'm saying. You want, so like that whole does poorly in an interview, maybe you're interviewing against 10 other people yeah, and they all have the same qualifications, the same experience, whatever. And you're bad in an interview. Yeah. Okay. Maybe you could do the job, but they've got 10 other people who also can do the job and also are good in interviews. But so the interv- hate to break it to you, but the interviews don't, I would think a lot of people would agree with me on this and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe everybody's saying, Jack, you're stupid yelling into their phone, drawing, you know, glances of suspicion as to why somebody's yelling at their phone in a workplace or in the car or something particularly when the person that they're yelling at can't hear them back. But, oh crap, I just forgot what I was going to say. Oh, I can save you here because I was just thinking of a way to marketing wordsmithery, mm-hmm. a knife, specifically a steak knife. Okay. You could call it a serrated meat separator. Ooh. Yeah? Yeah. That's right. It's got um, ergonomic design. Yeah. Um, it's got... Uh, uh, it's a, I would say it has uh, the new one is human centric design. Human centric, 
Yeah. Is that a thing? Yeah. Or user centric, but oh. it uh, uh, sharpening not required because it's serrated. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Well, let me rephrase that: sharpening not possible. But <laughs> you know, really, what's the difference, right? I feel like you could. Uh, I feel like if you got creative enough, you could sharpen one. Yeah, you could, Ben. You could sharpen anything. You just need. I like, can sharpen a coffee the- mug. You need the uh, like a file, like the rounded file that you would use for sharpening a chainsaw blade. Yeah, and that would sharpen a straight knife. Hey, I, I, I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying it's like there, there's no. But you said not possible, so I'm, I'm taking issue. Not practical with your. If point, you're taking not tools possible. that you use on your chainsaw to your steak knife, why you, not? They're you've both done something cutting. wrong at that they're point. Both for cutting. You've done something wrong. I feel like they're both for cutting carbon-based life forms. So naturally, they're the same thing, right? I didn't say that. No, I'm just saying. Yeah, you could. You, you could, could sell it that. that way. You could. Yeah, so just say, oh, you don't you don't need to buy a separate sharpener. Just use your chainsaw sharpener. You could, in theory, use your chainsaw to cut steaks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in some instances, that is kind of true at, like, meat processing facilities and stuff. But yeah. I think it's much more humorous to consider, you know, if you've got, like, a T-bone. And <laughs> on your plate, on, yes. your, on your kitchen yes. table. You're, yeah. you're cutting into little chunks with the chainsaw. Oh, man. You're not cutting into little anything with the chainsaw spattering it all over the place more like man that'd be the hard part is because you it would just grab it and throw it it'd be like a meat thrower instead meat of a cutter. thrower. oh man but i mean the the thing with interviews i've never liked interviews i don't think anybody's liked interviews there's some people who actually like interviews i think they're weird but the thing that's, uh, well, that's kind of rude what if i was one of those people then you're weird do you, are you one of those people um Actually, I've kind of, it used to be no, but I've come to enjoy interviews more and more, I would say. As the interviewee? Yeah. Uh, Maybe in part because I've now been an interviewer, and so I understand how it feels on the back side of the table and the process a little bit better, so I'm more comfortable. But also, I think, uh, in part because I've done enough interviews now where I feel comfortable that it's just a conversation and I don't feel mm-hmm. the pressure necessarily of having to give a right answer or having to sell myself like we we're talking about. In that so sense. would you say that you like them or that you just don't mind them? Because I would say those are two different things. No, I, I mean, there's a part of it that's genuinely enjoyable to me where um, I'm getting to spend time talking to someone else. And um, I mean, in the interview, generally the interviewee, which in this case would be me, is doing most of the talking and giving a lot of answers. But you do get an opportunity to learn about the other people, to learn about the position that you're applying for, to learn about the company that you're applying to. Like, oh, I feel like... I thought these were all internal. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I didn't say that. (laughs) But I also didn't say they were external. Because... You said other company. Learn about the company. I suppose you could be learning about, yeah, more about the company. Yeah, Assumptions, Jack. Okay, you know what they say about assuming? Yeah. You get things wrong from time to time. (laughs) So you got to be careful. They do say that. Yeah. yeah. It's not a very catchy phrase. Mm-hmm. I feel like maybe we could wordsmith that phrase and come up with a catchier one. Ooh. You think it's been done before? No, probably not. Yeah. What other wordsmithery stuff is out there? Well, I mean, it's, it's all out there. It's kind of de- it's kind of depressing because it is. It's, it's all about... I mean, it makes sense, right? Because well, you can't you can't exemplify the merits of something right then and there in front of you. You can't quantify. I mean, you can quantify it, but then there's the matter of what are they using to measure it? Are they is the are these numbers you know inflated? Is it BS? Do they but, make them up? Okay, so si- similar to the wording, I would also add like a number of the certifications and uh, like label or supplemental labels that you can get. So, for example, like I've seen companies now that have all these different organizations that they belong to or their certifications that are on the label. And some of them are just ridiculous where it'll be like, like this bottle of water that I'm holding. Yeah. And I'm not saying this is actually the case, but they're getting to the point where it would say like non GMO uh, free range, organic uh, contains no gluten. Yeah. Water. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. Yeah, of course it is. That's kind of a given. But I think, in, yeah. in some instances, for for some people, there's a legitimate health concern, and they need to know. But like on a bottle of water, did you really need a label to tell you that it didn't have gluten in it, or GM, G, like or, GMOs? Yeah, or GMOs. Yeah. Or there's not even an O in there, much less a GM to one. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah. it's it's very interesting that. 
the um, yeah, those types of labels have become part of the marketing now that somehow it enhances the quality of the product. Yeah. Because it's better because it doesn't have all those things. So they'll put it on things that it's not even relevant to, that doesn't even pertain at all to that product. I think I saw somebody post a picture once of like laundry detergent that said non-GMO on it or something. It, was, it wasn't even food. It was laundry detergent. Yeah, but if the GMOs get in contact with your skin, you know, rashes. But there aren't any organisms in laundry detergent. It's all chemicals. It's all GMO? I'm not going to wash my clothes. No. Never again. What? I said none of it's GMO. There's not even an O in there, much less a GM one, just like the water. Yeah, but I, what I mean is that it's just a chemical that's all been human engineered. Yeah. So you it's said even it was, worse. You said it was a GMO. But I, what I meant was that oh. it's... Well, those are two different things. Genetically modified yes, organisms. Yes, but the part that people fear about it is that it's been tampered with by man. GMO then, stands for genetically modified organism. If in case anybody didn't know, probably shouldn't mention that. So it's like genetic engineered corn or something. So they go in, they mess with their DNA to make it stronger, more resilient to the disease, make it yield twice as much as usual, and then they grow it and then they sell it. Twice as much might be an exaggeration. Well, I mean, they, yes. they make it they make it yield more. So then they grow it and then they sell it. And then people are saying, well, we have no idea what these modifications can do in the long run. Or maybe they make these – this all of a sudden this corn causes cancer. We have no idea. We right. haven't tested it. So the, the point is that people are afraid of the direct human intervention into the genome. Yeah. Even though humans have been selectively breeding plants and animals uh-huh. uh, for thousands of years. But G- GMOs, I will say this to the anti-GMO crowd, GMO, GMOs are, that's different than selective breeding. Because you're actually going, you're cracking into the DNA. Yes, absolutely. But the intent of cracking into the DNA is essentially to achieve the same result as selective breeding, just much, much faster. Oh, oh, right. But I don't because think- you could selectively breed for higher yields in corn or for drought resistance in corn. You, I mean, they can and have selectively bred for that, but it's much faster and more cost efficient if you can get there by cu- cracking into the DNA and building corn that does that. I'm not exactly into the whole GMO scene or anti-GMO scene or either of them, for that fact, um, or for that matter. But I don't think that the fear of the anti-GMO crowd is that, oh, it's selective breeding, but faster, we don't like it, for that reason. No, no. their fear is that through the tampering with the DNA, there's going to be unintended side effects yeah. to some extent, yeah. right? Like, that's the... Like a whole Jurassic Park thing, by accident, from a piece of corn. Yes, right. But so that's the fear that I was drawing upon with the comment that I made about not washing my clothes with detergent. Right. Because that whole chemical is built by artificial means you know i just realized and this i actually do have material for uh that this is uh this can all be flipped around on itself and this is a very good a very good example of marketing wordsmithing but when you're trying to to say wordsmith oh i'm sorry marketing wordsmithery uh it's a very good example oh i'm looking up something on my on my phone here uh, it's a very good example of marketing word smithery, but when you're trying to bash something, when you're trying to make it sound bad. Okay. So, for example, dihydrogen monoxide oh, is yeah, one yeah. atom away from formaldehyde. Still think we should still be putting it in our juice? Yes. What happens in one hour after drinking dihydrogen monoxide? First five minutes, your taste buds send messages to your brain, triggering neuro- ne- neuronal? Never seen that word before responses as if the dihydrogen monoxide had already reached your bloodstream. 10 minutes after drinking dihydrogen monoxide, neurons in the anterior hypothalamus show a decrease in firing as dihydrogen monoxide is absorbed by the tongue. 20 minutes, your plasma and blood cell deuterium to protein ratio begins to rise from 140 to 260 ppm parts per million. Uh, Here, what's another example? How do you know that doesn't stand for people punching Mondays? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Cancer patients have repeatedly reported that they've listened to running dehydrogen monoxide at some point in their lives. But these are all – so this isn't so much marketing word smithery as it is sentence smithery where they're they're selling something as bad when it's very obviously good because – 
for those of you out there who aren't getting the joke, dihydrogen monoxide, H2O, H2O, it's water. These are all facts about water that people are jokingly trying to make it sound. Yeah, I've, I've definitely, um, they had a... Washing pesticides from crops exposes them to even more dihydrogen monoxide, which yeah, is true. That's true. Um, there was a segment on, I think it was one of the, one of the like evening comedy shows where they, they circulated a petition to get dihydrogen monoxide banned. Yep. And it was at different, different venues, you know, like concerts or at, uh, political rallies and stuff like that. And it was crazy. The number of signatures that they I don't got know. It's not, people. it's not crazy at all. No, I mean, it's not surprising, Oh, but it's still crazy okay, that I they can... get. I can agree to that. That they get as many signatures as they do. And I think in part, it's there's this people want to be helpful. And so it's like, <laughs> hey, we're collecting signatures for insert cause here. Yep. And people will sign their name like, oh, yeah, I'll help you get whatever you want to get because it's no skin off your back. All you did was sign a piece of paper and they'll go away. So you right? think that's an important it's like factor. The, but... It's like the least, the path of least resistance to get that kind of person off your back is yeah. to just sign. Because you would feel awkward saying no, maybe. Yeah, yeah. maybe. But then there's also definitely a part of it where you're just like, yeah, but they literally got you to sign a piece of paper that said you want to ban water. Yeah. To prove a point, obviously. So the I would think that the rational response is if you see somebody saying, hey, we want to ban this unknown substance, that you would say, I don't know what this unknown substance is. I don't recognize it. I need to figure, I need to find out more before I make a decision. That's the rational thing to do. Would but you agree? Why are you signing to remove something if you don't know what that something so, is? So, hold on. I would say, yes, that is a rational response. Okay. I would say it is also rational to take the information of someone you trust and make a decision based on that. Okay. Now, in this situation, I would say they're substituting someone who th sounds authoritative. In their mind, they're substituting it that idea as someone they trust, right? Okay. I so if you've got someone reading facts like that about dihydrogen monoxide, they're not false. They've just been right. posited in such a way yep. that they make water sound like something that should be banned. Yeah. And they are academic sounding enough that the person saying them is going to sound like they have some authority on the subject, is somewhat trustworthy. Mm -hmm. And I think in general, people are trusting of, like if you're giving a survey or you're, you know, you're looking for some kind of petition that you've done your homework, right? Well, there's your first mistake. Right. No, no, no. I, I'm not saying it's not a mistake. I'm just saying it's not irrational e either. I feel like they make they make a series, people who are willing to sign that petition make a series of rational. lapses in judgment, oh. but that are still rational. Like there's a reason why they did it. It's just if not be, well advised. Okay. If to be rational, it just means that there is a traceable train of thought, then any decision is rational. Why did you take your pants off in the middle of the mall? Because <laughs> I wanted to. Well, I can trace that train of thought. It's rational. No. No, no, no. But I'm, seeing, I'm saying the steps that I described, you would not say are – none of the individual steps are irrational in and I, of themselves. I think that – In and of the, themselves. No, I think that the trusting a stranger is in asking for a petition to ban something that you don't recognize, trusting that person – Okay, but how do you idea. define stranger then? Because we trust you've a lot. Never met, you've never met this person. We trust a lot of people that we've never met. That's true. You've never <clears> met this person. So there's a lot of capacities where you have to trust strangers. Like if you... Um, I mean, we trust we trust emergency responders. Yes, yeah, that's what I was going to say. We, yeah. we trust... Uh, I mean, I guess in some instances you have met them, but you don't. You trust teachers, professors. We trust uh, news anchors by and large. Less now I don't. than we used yeah. to, right? But there was... I mean... Or reporters, journalists, right? That That's a category of people that uh, are, in general, trusted, even if that trust has Maybe not reached. anymore, yeah. But, um, but so I'm not saying it's out of the question or crazy to trust strangers. No, I It depends I, I on the context, yeah, obviously. Right. Right? There, the, you, there, are po there are points in your life where, and pretty frequent, I see your point, where you, ha like, if you go order food at a restaurant, you have to trust that the waiters or whoever's working there this didn't poison it you have to you have to trust them well Otherwise, I mean, you're not going to order the food and you'll never be able yes. to eat out again when you go to that level every every moment of every day in yeah. human society That's is based point. on trust like you're trusting that your neighbor's not going to break into your house or you're trusting i mean 
basically any action other than cowering in the corner is trusting that things are going to go the way that they did the day before. Well, if you're kind of in the corner, then you're assuming, you're trusting that your house won't collapse on you. Yeah, that your contractor built it correctly, built it to code, that the code was beneficial, that it actually would prote- prevent your house from collapsing. That's right. There's, yeah, many, many levels of trust in there. So is this really more, is a whole dihydrogen monoxide survey, is that really more a matter of a study of whom we trust and how far we would trust them? I would say probably yes. Mm-hmm. But it's Because still- I feel like you seriously could put anything on there. Some people aren't even going to read what you're asking them to ban. See, I think that's stupid too. No, you, I, yeah. That, why are you sure. signing something that you don't read? Yeah. Like the, the terms no, and conditions. Yeah. That we all just check the box and go, I agree. Yep. Move Which on. I do too. Take me to what I want to do. because I, tr- I didn't want this page. Why is this page popping up? Yep. Just what's going to clear it as fast as so, possible. So, you know, admittedly I do do that. So I definitely exhibit the same behavior as the, as the people signing away. So that, you could be turned into a human centipede by Apple. Yeah. Okay. Good. Could be. Already have. It was last year. It was. It wasn't actually half bad. Granted, I was the front person. <laughs> Did you eat the sushi or the rice? <laughs> sushi all the way, baby. <laughs> no, it was fish tacos or something, wasn't it? No, I thought it was. It was a fish. No, 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 it was no, definitely it was, fish based. You're right about that. Yeah, it was. Uh, it wasn't ludafisk. It wasn't no, ludafisk. No, no, it was no, like no. a. Yeah. It was an. It was a exotic dish yeah. exotic ish i was thinking it was sushi but it could be yeah anyway the point is this. why are we talking about the human scent ipad episode of south park <laughs> because you blindly agree to the terms and I conditions review, I, I, that's I, how the episode the premise of that yeah, whole yeah, episode yeah. is that people click terms and conditions without reading it i just thought and that was so it was the, hu- was the human scent ipad yeah. <laughs> i mean how they arrived there <laughs> is not like a total leap of imagination no man that was a good episode um so, the, but that's an interesting topic. So then, is it a matter of trust that these people signed away the ban to dihydrogen monoxide? But here's the thing, though. I think what this shows is that a lot of people obviously are making fun of the people who did sign it because they didn't make what they judged was a good call, and, or what they what the audience. I don't know where this. The people who are laughing at the signers of the signature are laughing at them because. The trust that they did show was obviously exploited and was therefore observed to be incorrect. Yes. Incorrectly placed. But I would place money on if roles were reversed and you took the people who signed it being put in the audience and the other way around, the result would be the same. Yep. I, yeah, I, I don't necessarily disagree I think that. the people who signed it would probably be laughing at the people who didn't sign it. Yep. And, you know, I mean, it's just... So it may be about different things. It may not be about dihydrogen yeah, monoxide. Sure. But I think we're all equally disarmed and yeah. like our guard is not up in that situation as much as it possibly should be yeah, or potentially should be to make an informed decision. Yeah. Man. Which actually gets back to uh, one of the books that I mentioned in our first episode, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. Yeah. So he talks about, I mean, the whole the whole um, book is about uh, these two thought processes, one that's fast and one that's slow. Mm-hmm. The, the fast one being uh, intuition, it's it's essentially a mental reflex that takes a piece of information and starts trying to file it away into a cabinet or a, a bin of like-minded or of similar information, right? Just immediately. So it says hey, I've got this piece of information. I know what to do with it. I know where to put it. I'm going to file it away. Then there's the slow thought process that is your, I think, I'm not sure if I'm perfectly summarizing him here, but I would say is your intentional, aware consciousness, your focused mental effort where you're actually thinking actively about something. Yeah. Um, and so that he describes as this slow thought process whereby instead of just trying to put information where it belongs, we're actually um, consciously reviewing that process and saying, okay, here's the information I have. How does that fit with all the other information that I have? Like, does this make sense in context with everything else I know? And critically evaluating it and then deciding, yes, that's true or no, that's not true. Because if we don't do that, he argues from um, his research that if we don't evaluate something as true or not true, 
the brain just makes that decision for us based on whether or not it fits with what we, it fits our cognitive narrative already. Can you think of an example? Um, I will try to think of an example. Can. But the point that I was making, I wanted to get to was that um, I think in those instances, you have people who are, um, you know, maybe the scenario of taking a survey or of signing your name or whatever is something that people are familiar enough with that their brain just snaps to that. Oh yeah, I'll just sign this thing. And like, they've got this rehearsed mental and then physical outcome that mm. happens when they're asked to provide their signature for something. And so they're not, it never comes into that critical assessment phase of thinking deeply about, is this something that's good? Should I actually be doing this? Mm. Right. Um, so the, the, you're asking for an example. So, um, one, this isn't quite the same thing, but it's in, it's in a similar vein. So an example I was thinking of, uh, a couple of weeks ago is if you were eating at a restaurant mm. and <clears throat> your, um, your server hasn't provided you with silverware. And so you ask, you ask for silverware, you ask for napkin, you know, you ask for basically all this stuff because your table's empty. And the server hears you ask for those things, right? Like that's the question being posed is, can I provide Jack with knife, fork, spoon, napkin, cup, plate, whatever, right? And then in the server's mind, they're busy, they've got all these other tables. And so they heard that question, but their brain's knee-jerk reaction is to go, well, that's a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. What can I, what things can I get easily for Jack? And so they go and they get you maybe a plate and a fork. Mm-hmm. And then they rush off to another table and forget the rest of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that this actually happens, but this is just a scenario, right? So the... Actually, I've seen this happen a lot. The, so the, the whole... Not, not this particular example, but this, this phenomenon that you're describing. So the whole, the whole uh, premise is that your mind hears one question and then rapidly substitutes an easier question to answer like a a difficult question to answer rapidly substitutes a different easier question that we get tricked into thinking has actually answered the original question yeah right because if i go like if our the way i as the waiter were to go back to you in that scenario you're going to be upset because you didn't get everything that you wanted and i'm like Oh, is everything okay? And you're like, no, I didn't get these other things. And I'm like, oh. Yeah. Because my brain tricked me into thinking, yes, I answered that question from yeah. Jack to give him th- those objects. I can't think of any examples myself for what I'm going to speak to, but there have been times. And I'm again, I'm sure a lot of our readers have, or readers, a lot of our <laughs> listeners have uh, experienced this where you would, in an email or an IM or a text, you would ask like two or three questions. And not even just like in, not even, well, either you list them off, you literally just list these questions off one after the other, or you kind of meld them all in together where you kind of have to answer them all together. Like, hey, are we going to see Weird Al on Tuesday uh, in Cedar Rapids? And you say uh, something along. So that's like three, there's three things you can confirm. Are we going to see Weird Al? Are we going on Tuesday? And is it in Cedar Rapids? Uh, You can say, like, uh, yeah, there's good, there's going to be good parking down at the amphitheater or something. It's like, you mean the one in Waterloo, the one that's an hour away from where the actual venue is. It's like, like and so like, that doesn't make sense. And so you, you only really answered kind of one question sure. incorrectly at that. But there are a lot of times where even if you list off the questions, like, Hey, are we going to go see weird Al? Are you okay with driving down to Cedar Rapids? Are, are you going to be able to make the seven, the eight o'clock show time? Yeah. I'm going to go see weird Al. Yeah. It's like, so, okay, what about the other two questions? So I'll give you I'll give you a better example um, of one that actually came from the book where uh, he talks about um, asking people if they're happy. Mm. And provocative, yeah. And they may have actually done it in reverse. They may have asked people if they were unhappy. But anyway, the, the principle still applies. So if you're asking someone someone if they're happy, mm-hmm. and you just ask them for a response. Um, they may give you one answer. And then what they did was they asked people to think of how many times in the last month 
they felt happy. And that people will give you, you know, obviously a number. And then what is interesting is that um, people who can provide, let's say, have an easier time thinking of the instances where they were happy will more, they're more likely to say that they're happy, even if they're not necessarily like I'm trying to think of a better way to explain this. So the harder it is to think of the answer, the more what, the answer, which question to the, are you happy question? Like, yep. Okay. If you, if you just ask people the, are you happy? They might say, yeah, absolutely. And then if you ask them to think of how many times in the past month they've been happy yep, and maybe they can't think of any and it's because they're focused on specific instances rather than just on this ambiguous feeling mm. of happiness. This is the people who say that they're happy or they say that they aren't happy. Yeah. I'm totally butchering this, but no, this was, if you, someone who says that they're happy. Yes. Like, yeah, I'm a happy person. Like I'm happy right now. Life is happy in general. And then you, you flip the question and ask them how many times in the last month have you felt happy? Yep. And then if they, if they can think of examples right off the cuff, yep. then they're more likely to still consider themselves happy. Whereas if they struggle to, to provide examples of how happy they are, they're like, Oh, Maybe I'm not really happy. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I'm really slaughtering. So what I'm con so I'm still confused as to what the connection was. Is it that the people who did they find a correlation between? I guess this is what I assumed you're gonna address, and I and I subsequently did not hear this getting addressed. Is did they find a correlation between people saying yes, I'm happy, and some sort of pattern in the okay, how many times are you happy? No, I think because they didn't. They, you're saying that they did not ask the same people both questions, or did they? Oh, I don't. I don't remember that part right. of it. I I thought that they did, but I could be wrong. But no, so like the the framework of the way that the questions was asked, it was getting back to that thinking you're answering one question and really answering another one, and so um, kind of it's almost like the. If you're trying to answer, am I happy? Yeah. By answering how many times in the past month have I felt happy? Mm -hmm. You're going to, you're going to get a different answer, right? Mm. Yeah. So it's again, not, I'm kind of slaughtering their, their study, but. I think to that, so like, let's take that question a little bit further, right? I think it's difficult to say, to, to quantify how many times you've been happy. It's like saying, how many thoughts have you had this past month? It's like, yeah, uh, but it wasn't the thing was, though, it wasn't the number of instances that they had that was important. It was just how rapidly those instances came to mind. Yeah, so it was so really what it became was not are you happy or how many times you've been happy? It was like their perception of their happiness was based on how quickly they could recall situations where they felt happy. You see, for me, I would struggle with that question just because I think I would take it too literally. I think they would say, how many times have you thought you were happy or have you felt happy? So, oh, oh, geez. Um, okay, let me let me think back to Monday. Okay, so Monday I got up. I had to go to the bathroom. That was nice. And then I had to get some coffee. That was that was cool too. And then it's like, it's like I'm literally trying to count everything up. And then it's like, wait, when is there a separate instance of being happy? And then you have to try to quantify that in your head. And then there's and what is, yeah. How do you measure? How happy? Do you, yeah, like how do you yeah. how do you consider one feeling of happiness apart from another, or were they just the same feeling, just like extended over time? Like, what are we talking about here? Give me some more details, man. Like this question sucks. Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of my house, sir. We're in the middle of Ridgedale Mall. Oh, what am I doing here? Uh, I feel like you would maybe get pre-screened out of that <laughs> that study slash survey potential. Get out of my house, sir. Why are your pants off? <gasps> you keep coming back to that pants off in the mall example. I'm going to make another sure Jim we... Gaffigan reference where he says, like in that like little creepy voice of his, he has a, his pants off in a lot of jokes. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm kind of getting bored with this topic. So, I feel all right, like... what do you want to move on to then? We only have 39 minutes. We got more time because the other the people, the comments that we would very much welcome, by the way, listeners, is that they wanted more time. Because we did it like 30-ish, 35-ish minutes, last, like the first episode, and they yeah. said, we want well, more! More tangential banter. Yeah. Okay. So what do you propose then? Um, 
we could go more on the whole America co- topic from last episode. <laughs> or, so I think we kind of got, I think I got done on the wrong foot. I think a lot of people probably suspecting me of being an American nationalist right now, which is not true. The point I was trying to make is that what I value a lot is diversity in culture, not because everybody's, oh, we're one big happy family despite our differences. I don't, I don't care about that. What I care about is if you get a bunch of people from different backgrounds who have different ideas, who have different experiences, who have different ways of doing things, and you throw them all together and you say, okay, find a leader who will try to take over the world. They would not be able to do it. They would just bicker and complain and argue and fight with one another. You couldn't do it. You can't have a country that's filled with a whole bunch of different people take over the world. Unless the unless you give the government enough power where it doesn't matter what the people say and they, they can't vote and it's not a republic or a democracy, yada, yada, yada. Uh, that's how Germany. Like, look at all the countries that try to take over the world or at least try to establish very big empires. You got, you got the Brits. You got the Romans. You got the Germans, you got the Japanese, the Greeks. They never tried to. No, they were a bunch of city-states. They never tried to take over the world. There was never like a really Greek empire, as far as I'm aware. And that kind of, if that's true. So I don't know. Alexander the Great. He wasn't Greek. Was Was he? he? I thought he was Macedonian. I thought he was a different, like a different uh, region. Now, I know Macedonia was probably in what was considered Greece at the time. But uh, was he Greek? I mean, that that whole period of history is like the Hellenic empire. Was there, so here's the thing. I don't know. I know, uh, I don't know very much at all about ancient, ancient empires. The Roman empire, I know some about, but everything like the Greeks, uh, anything to do with like the, the Japanese feudal system, anything to do with like the French and English and German empires, like in the dark ages. No, no idea. Uh, so I'm, I just never heard of a Greek empire. So I'm assuming that there hasn't been one. I know, but I recognize that's not a safe assumption just because I've never heard of it. But um, okay, but even then, even if it were, I can't imagine that. I know for the fact that uh, Nazi Germany, that imperialistic Japan, that uh, Soviet Russia, they were all very, very homogenous population groups. And the only ones in, now Germany and Russia may be somewhat of exceptions. I would say particularly Russia. I think there's a lot of minority groups. They try to oppress them. They try to get rid of all of these minority groups. Just like in Germany, they try to sure. get rid of all of the Jews before they actually commence with the Holocaust. They try to literally just flush them out of the country. Among, among others, uh, gypsies is another one that comes to mind. Um, but the point I'm trying to make is it was all Germans. At the end, by the time World War II started, it was all Germans. It was all, and by the time, it was all like Russians. It was all Japanese that tried to take over and establish these very totalitarian, despotic empires. So what I'm proposing, and it, you know, I'm not saying that this is a foolproof plan, but it's certainly going to be an obstacle in the process of establishing a dictatorship, is if you have all of these diverse people groups in the country, the chances of a dictatorship taking hold is going to be much less. So, yeah, you go. So... You're, I feel like this is a ludicrous question, but the the argument that I'm hearing you make is that the value of diversity in America is in preventing a dictatorship. That is and my highest value. America from taking over the world. Yeah, that's my highest value of it. Interesting. Also, I mean, during the break, I was talking about the fact that America kind of has taken over the world in a sense. Right. So, not, yep, yep. Not like the... Uh, authoritarian despot. This isn't like let's, let's overtly invade these countries and like t- right. topple down their. Ruling but so class. we've we've quote unquote defended freedom many places yeah. around the world and then never left. I would say don't get me started on this topic because this gets into mili- American military colonialism, which I'm a very what's the, what's Strong a pro- opponent opponent uh, yeah proponent is the opposite of opponent and I'm the opposite of proponent so I'm opponent. <laughs> I thought the word was going to be component for a second. I was like, no, no that doesn't sound component. right. You're right. Opponent's the word. I'm a very strong opponent of that for two reasons. One, it is very indicative of a government that has gotten too big. And second, that's how you attract problems. Ants. That's how you get ants. <laughs> Do you want ants? Because that's, that's how you, you get, get ants. Archer reference, by the way, people. Um, <laughs> dang it, you got me laughing on that. But that is what attracts problems. That's what attracts the, um, the what's the word I'm looking for? Not disparity, but um, 
disparity is the is like sad. What's anger? Yes, it attracts the anger of the world. And the thing is, what was America during World War One and World War Two, where we had to go save Europe from itself two times over? It was isolationist. It was very much leave us alone. It was very much we do not have our arms all over the all over the world. And it was only until Europe got into this like absolutely decrepit state where America finally decided to step in and save everybody's you know hides except for the Germans and well except for the Germans twice. So um, what was and your the point. The point is, is that America, when it came out to the forefront, when it became the superpower, it did not have its arms around the world. So my point is it doesn't need to have its arms around the world to still be a military, a militaristic threat to people who would potentially invade us. That's the whole, the whole point of the military. So I'm not against, I have to put a big asterisk on what I'm about to say, because you have to hear me out. The first sentence will not be adequate. A lot of people will make assumptions and jump to a conclusion that I am not going to come to. So bear with me. I am not against military spending because one of the responsibilities of even a small federal government will be to establish a military to in, to protect against foreign invasion. Yes, Ben, you have something to say? Well, yeah, I just want to interject because I feel like we're starting to drift into like a list of Jack's political views, which, well, entertaining, I'm not sure is the intent of our... That's a good point. Or um, spirit of our podcast. That's a good point. Yeah. So and I'm not disagreeing with you necessarily in any sense. I just want to... I want to get crazier with it rather than talking yeah, about Yeah, rather than, I agree. The, Paul the things that everybody a, else is talking about. Because all the talking heads are talking about that. Yeah, that is such a cliche topic, you're right. Um, let me finish this thought. It was basically just going to say, um, I think like we could have a military that is literally supposed to, as Teddy Roosevelt said, uh, speak softly and carry a big stick. So it minds its business. It doesn't stick its nose anywhere where it shouldn't. But if there was a country that said, hey, America, you know, back off. And it like launches a, a missile at us or, or does something to provoke like that, like actually attacks us territory, then the like America go in and just like, I mean, like scorched earth, this, whatever it is. And then just like retreat back into its shell. Basically just like, like a snapping turtle. You get like, it sits there, minds its business, doesn't go off doing things. It shouldn't, you get too close. It will take your finger off. Then it'll it, like, it'll, it'll shoot out, bam, no more finger. And then it'll attract back in to be left alone once more. That's what I want the mil American military to be. Uh, just like, and I could get into the whole anecdote about what Ronald Reagan did. I think it was to Gaddafi back in the eighties. Remember Gaddafi, the Libyan yes. guy? Yeah. He did something to provoke American <clears throat> military and Reagan, I think instead, I could be butchering the anecdote who the parties involved, maybe even if it were true, I I think it is. The, I'm going off of something I learned eight years ago. So it's from memory from eight years ago. He basically, instead of like having like some covert operate, well, it was a covert operation, but instead of like sending forces in to like apprehend somebody or, or to make, to send a message, what he did was he sent like a lone plane or like a lone missile and blew up this dictator's house and like killed this like son or something. And that's all he did. And it was basically like a, a Doolittle's raid sort of situation where End of the day, economically speaking, this didn't do much damage, but it hit yeah, It hit the guy at home and showed him that he was vulnerable and showed that you messed with the wrong guy, sort of thing. I thought that was so cool because hmm. it was it was you know we didn't have to destroy a whole country to make our point to back this guy off or like kill a bunch of like innocent civilians. Well, like I've never we kinda, heard that story. We kind of didn't do little trade, but anyway. here again, I would remind listeners that everything that we are saying and discussing is literally either opinion or what we can recall of fact yeah. off the top of our head. We so can't, yeah, yeah. if there's something that disagrees with fact, uh, let us know in the comments. Let us know. We're not trying to, and I know you can't trust people when they say this. We're not trying to actively lie or, or uh, what's the word? Not just well, I mean, in um, some instances we are comedically exaggerating points, right? Oh yeah. I think, I think That's the, the listeners obvious. will be able to figure that out. Um, at least I think so, unless I'm doing it so subtly that they can't tell, or even if I can't tell. Subtly. <gasps> subtly. Uh, um, but let if there are facts, yeah, if you guys want to be our fact checkers, let us know, because we're just sitting here, two guys in Ben's basement, and we have no idea if we're right or wrong. Because, again, we're just going off of memory. So, I'm, see, now it sounds like I'm being pompous by having assigning these guys to be fact checkers for free. 
Well, that's your problem, not mine. You're right. I apologize for assuming that you will do a service for us without payment. I'm and not also, saying that we will pay you. I'm just saying if you want to, to shove it in our faces <laughs> and get like the bragging also, rights, please do so. I I certainly would I would appreciate the understanding gained yeah. from learning what the truth is if we missed the point in, some, true. in some element. But I also don't want to spend all of our time slash energy fact-checking because it's more fun to just have fun with the conversation. Yeah than to try to be exactly correct with every single point. Yeah, the the the, the benefit of fact-checking, because, I mean, <clears throat> it's called tangential banter. I mean, really, it's just two guys ranting on about stuff that comes to mind, right? If Whether whether or not it's, it's right, we want to be correct. We're not trying to actively uh, put out false information or to lie or anything like that, but obviously, we're just sitting here coming up with stuff off the top of, you know, off the cuff. We're going to get things wrong. It's going to happen, unfortunately. Well, maybe for you. Yeah, definitely for me. I will admit that. <laughs> All right. Well, with that in mind, we will leave you here with this episode. The episode's been, you know. What? It's shorter than last episode. Not to say it's bad. I, I like consistency myself. Yeah, but I'm not going to try to fill up. T- like, we don't have a producer standing behind. Yeah, that's a good point. Some lectern talking in our ears about how we have... 37 seconds until commercial. Well, okay. So here's, I'll, I'll, I'll pose this question to our listeners. So Ben received, oh, what? You're breaking the fourth wall. Whatever wall We've already broken the fourth wall no, multiple times. No, it's never happened before. <laughs> it's ruined. Fact checkers, please uh, recollect in this episode what uh, time points we had already broken the fourth wall so I can show Ben that he was wrong. Anyway, uh, let us know what your guys preferred length of episodes are because that's something that we have no clue about. Ben did get a request for longer than what our first episode was. Yes. That was all the information we got, right? But that was intended to give us time and space to flesh out a particularly difficult topic, not just to fill time to meet a time slot. Okay. That's a good point. And yeah, just, I mean, really... On our end, we're just conversing. And so for yeah. it to be enjoyable to others, it's really just a matter of preference at that point. Yeah. Because we can slice and dice. And if you so guys have any any other comments, any anything that you guys want to hear, don't want to hear, if you guys are saying, I don't like it when Jack gets political, then I would come back and say, you know what, man, you're right. That sucks. <laughs> you probably should stop listening. No, no, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> All right. So okay. is that it? Yeah, I think so. You think so? All right. Catch you next week. Woo!